Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcast about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tetyana Oharkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. 18 days of Russian invasion of Ukraine. What is the situation right now, Tanya, on the ground? Well, uh, the situation today is quite uh, foreign, in fact, because to, uh, early in the morning we received uh, information about new bombs and new missiles, missiles uh, near Lviv at Yavoriv Polygon. So, and, and it makes already 35 dead and more than 100 wounded. Mm, this is something extraordinary, let us say it clearly, uh, something extraordinary because uh, now Russian army demonstrate that they can reach uh, objectives close to the western border of Ukraine, as, uh, for example, yesterday they bombarded um, uh, Ivano-Frankivsk, so also on the western part of, the, of, of Ukraine. But uh, at the same time, what is uh, really preoccupying about Yavoriv incident is that there is a military, military center I called Center for Peace or something, but uh, foreign and maybe European instructors uh, were supposedly present on the site. So we can talk, maybe it'll be clear, uh, we guess in, in, in the following hours, maybe some foreigners are already killed in this, uh, in this war, during this war. And the situation becomes uh, really dangerous because it would mean it could be uh, interpreted like a direct attack of the Russian Federation against Europe because they uh, deliber deliberately stroke the place where foreigners were present. At the same time, this is something expected because they what they try to show, they try to show that they are able to reach their goals in on the whole Ukrainian territory. I mean, not only in the east where their tanks and their regular army is present, but also in the west. Uh, and the, this missile strike, they went from the uh, Black Sea. So imagine the distance, it's, it's quite a long distance, in fact. Mm, there is high risks of direct confrontation now. And what we expect now, we expect a prompt response from NATO countries, because uh, the strike took place only 30 kilometers around 20-30 kilometers from the border, from the border with Poland. So this is close to, to NATO country. And um, when we, uh, we were um, hearing the argument from NATO countries for many, year, many days already that uh, NATO tries to avoid the direct clash just not to make uh, uh, the situation even more dangerous between many nu uh, nuclear uh, countries, like between the United States, for example, and Russia. But what we see that Russia uh, continues to escalate the situation by such strikes. What do you think, Claudia? Yes, exactly. And uh, of course, they're trying to target airports, which are in the western Ukraine. We have seen attacks uh, um, two days ago on Lutsk and Ivano-Frankivsk. 
I think this night there was also an attack on Ivano-Frankivsk, but also this Yavorivsk polygon is really 20 kilometers away from Polish border, from EU and NATO border. So Russians are approaching the NATO border. And uh, as we are saying all the time, NATO, European Union should be aware that in the minds of Russians, they are waging a war not against Ukraine, but against the whole Western world. So... uh, there is a clear risk of spillover of this war into into other countries as well. Unfortunately, foreigners uh, uh, become already victims of this war. Just to, uh, a few minutes before we started recording this podcast, uh, we have seen the reports of a death by of uh, Brent Renault, who was a filmmaker. Uh, and uh, American filmmaker making uh, a reportage from Irpin, from evacuation of refugees. Uh, another, his colleague, uh, has has was wounded and uh, has given a testimony that they were just filming the refugees that was in a press car, and uh, suddenly they were shot by, by the Russians. Um, as we earlier reported, Russians are shooting at the green corridors and people evacuating from such horrible places uh, right now like Irpin are not really safe and unfortunately we we have this report about the death of Brent Renault who was actually having a a badge by New York Times and there was a statement by by New York Times by uh, Cliff Levy, deputy managing editor of New York Times uh, saying he's deeply saddened to learn about the death of uh, Brent Renault and adding that he was not on the assignment of New York Times. But unfortunately, it is already officially officially confirmed and uh, it seems that already foreign journalists are not safe here and are dying in not because of, you know, even airstrikes, but because of targeted shooting by Russians who are shooting the green corridors. Yeah, it, it means, yeah, it means it becomes much more serious. And these uh, foreign victims, what today in in Yavriv and with, um, with Renault, it, it, it showed that Russia has already, uh, so, so that our international partners or allies of Ukraine, they do have their own victims already in this war. So uh, uh, what is to expect is that the reaction, the reaction uh, from our Western partners would be uh, somehow more serious. Maybe we are still waiting for for information about Yavoriv. We ju- at the present moment, we don't know exactly how many foreigners and if there were any foreigners present at the site um at at the moment of the strike but um yeah but if there were any so we ex- we expect a kind of reaction uh what else can be said um let's talk about Volodya, let's talk about mariupol as far as i understand we received some information i f- i'm following a photographer ukrainian photographer present in this on the site in mariupol and he said that uh, he has no time, surely, surely to respond to any questions, but he's filming what he sees. Uh, he says no, uh, that the city is, uh, is being bombed at every minute, that there is no food, no water, no electricity, uh, nothing. In fact, nothing in the city. People are there and uh, he has no time to communicate. He, he does whatever he can just to document what's going on. Combats are at every moment, but uh, the city is controlled, as he says, uh, completely 
by Ukrainian army at that very moment. So, uh, but another question is that population inside the city, uh, the people are suffering for many days already, and these humanitarian convoys uh, were not successful. Uh, they didn't manage to get into the city, and according to official numbers, uh, two days ago, they said it was one thousand. Two or three hundred, two, 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 three hundred people dead already. So, I, I'm afraid that as of for today, this number of dead, killed in Mariupol is much higher. Yes, the situation in Mariupol is horrible. The situation in uh, Kiev, northern suburbs, unfortunately, is horrible too. Irpin, Bucha, Rostomel. Uh, so there is a, a clear risk that the, the, the fighting will continue and then that these uh, towns, these Kiev suburbs will uh, basically will, will be reduced to nothing. And uh, there were quite well-off uh, suburbs in which uh, quite you know, middle-class people were, were living and buying houses. So the, the, also the situation in Kharkiv is very, is very, is very difficult. Uh, there are photos of many residential buildings, multi-store buildings uh, destroyed, the same way with Chernihiv. Uh, you can, you can <coughs> see all those photos on our Twitter. We try to, we try to put uh, as many photos as we can about these Russian atrocities, Twitter of Ukraine world. What else? Uh, but at the same time, the Russians are not advancing. So when we hear when we hear reports from Russian media as if like there will be an encircling of Kiev in in two days, I am personally right now in Kiev. The city is uh, half empty, but at the same time very tense, preparing for defense. There are many many defenders, so it seems that the city is just reduced to to the people who are who are defending it. The magazines, the shops are closed uh, almost everywhere. Very difficult to find medicines in the pharmacies. Most most pharmacies are either closed or have no supplies, unfortunately. The, the, the shops are still open, so you can still f uh, buy food. But uh, but the Russians are not advancing. Even even in Irpin, they, they are not entering, as we just uh, talked to, um, to, to, to a person, uh, who was in Bucha and uh, basically in these atrocities and uh, managed to escape. And mm -hmm. uh, he was saying that they are not entering even these tiny suburbs. Uh, the Russians are staying on the outskirts in the in mm -hmm. the villages near Irpin and Bucha because they are afraid of street fights. They are they are afraid mm -hmm. of entering e even tiny cities because they understand tiny towns actually because they mm -hmm. understand that they will be they will be destroyed, uh, annihilated, and killed. Uh, a few days, I yes, Tanya, yes. And let's look uh, also to the Belar uh, to the border with Belarus. Uh, yesterday we had uh, yesterday day before yesterday we ha yeah, day before yesterday we had information about possible ent uh, entry of Belarus in the war because the several uh, small s villages were bombarded by Russian planes from Ukrainian territory. So uh, it looked like they were searching for a kind of casualty just to attack. Uh, Ukraine, I mean Belarusian army, but at that very moment, situation is quite unclear because we don't see uh, any Belarusian troops entering Ukraine. So uh, 
it looks like uh, Lukashenko is still hesitating about the possibility to use openly, I mean openly, his military military forces in Ukraine. Let us say, let it be clear, the Belarusian army is not is is not very is not 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 big and not strong. But and Ukrainians, in any case, they were not afraid of it. But um, it looks like uh, Putin. Uh, was trying to put Lukashenko into this war, but Lukashenko is not so much ready because he he knows, and because his uh, army is not so much ready to enter Ukraine. So uh, this is important because uh, Bel- Belarus border is from the north, and in case of uh, any kind of additional invasion, the things could be even more difficult for the capital, for Kyiv. But at the pre- present moment, we don't see any kind of significant advance advance of this Belarusian army, so so to say. So it seems that a Russian army, really, they are uh, trying to keep uh, the positions, what they have already, and maybe they are trying to get some more resources from from Russia uh, in in terms of men, in terms of uh, uh, weapons, but uh, they are not so very much uh, successful on the ground. But still they continue to enlarge the territory of their shellings and bombings. So it's not only Kharkiv, but also the, on the extreme. So on the extreme point on the west of Vyanafankivsk or Lviv. Imagine at that very moment in Lviv, uh, we have a lot of a lot of displaced, internally displaced people. So people, uh, this is very popular destination because uh, after Lviv, people are entering Poland. And Poland may be the most popular country for for Ukrainians who flee the country. And uh, this is uh, a kind of... uh, a kind of... um, um, expected, in a way, attack. Because if you you strike Lviv, you will strike all people who already... who think already they have already left the war, but they are still there. So... This uh, could be uh, a good, if I can say so. So a good, good method just to to create even mo- much more panic and much more terror um, in in the between Ukrainians. I, I think what Russians are, are trying to do is what they did in Syria, just to bomb as many civilian facilities as possible, as many civilian objects, to horrify people, uh, to target hospitals, to target uh, civilian buildings, just to make people flee massively. And of course, they flee to the European Union. And this is a, a, a migration, a huge migration pressure, refugees pressure, much, much bigger than the Syrian refugees pressure. And, uh, of course, this will be also a factor. We understand that uh, migration is, you know, the key factor defining uh, uh, European politics in the past decade. And uh, this is one of the also motivation to be as cruel as possible, as inhumane as possible, uh, not to make a war with Ukrainian army, but rather with civilians to provoke the outflow or massive outflow of people. But let's mm-hmm. talk about Ukrainian resistance. This is this continue to be remarkable. Today we have uh, reports of uh, uh, Kherson dwellers. Kherson is temporarily occupied. This is the only city right now, major city, which is uh, in which there are Russian troops. Russians didn't enter Mariupol, didn't enter Chernihiv, didn't enter Kharkiv. They're far away. F- well several kilometers from Kiev, but without real prospects to enter the city. But unfortunately, they entered Kherson, which is the closest regional center to Crimea. And what we see, they 
try to make a referendum on the so-called Kharkiv People's Republic to make a uh, an analog to Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. And the local council so, so, said, no, we don't want to do that. They tried to uh, appoint a, a, a their mayor, which was from the pro-Russian party opposition platform, uh, and this woman uh, shared the message that uh, she will, you know, she calls the citizens to not to, uh, you know, follow the what what she said, extremists, meaning the <laughs> Ukrainians, Ukrainian powers. Mm-hmm. But uh, the city council said that uh, she's a traitor and uh, this is not a not not a, a mayor uh, anything. And we see today the protests in Kherson, unarmed people you know facing the occupants the russian occupants against again you can you can follow our twitter to say to to see the videos of that this is really impressive because russians are shooting at them uh, uh, they wound them uh, they but but these brave people uh, went out on streets despite the fact that fsb and Russian police is already in the city and started arresting people, massively arresting people. So today we, mm-hmm. we have also protests in Russian cities, but uh, frankly, it seems to me that uh, protests in occupied Kherson, when people are facing unarmed the 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 tanks and the armored machines, is is bigger in number than the protests in Russian cities. That's my impression. And the same story, and the same story was in Berdyansk also. Today in the morning, uh, we've seen manifestations in Berdyansk. It's a minor city, smaller city than Kherson, uh, but it's also occupied by by Russian tanks, but uh, I've seen the images from Berdyansk and it was a kind of uh, thousands of people who were present on the central square or central in the city center. They were with Ukrainian flags and they were saying that Berdyansk is Ukraine and uh, there were quite a number of them. So it it means that even if uh, certain localities, several cities are uh, suffering from the presence of the Russian army, people are not afraid really to, to come down to streets and just to protest and to show that the city... So this not the occupation is not about the presence of um, Russian tanks. It's also about the collaboration with the Russian regime. And nobody wants to collaborate with Russian regime, even in the eastern and southern parts of Ukraine. I think this is very important because the initial plan, as we know, of Putin's regime was to occupy uh, Ukraine just to keep control over it. But this is what what we see in Kherson and what we see in Berdyansk. It showed that it's simply not possible for them. So they do can can enter by tanks, but what do they next? So this this will be impossible for them to keep... Uh, to keep all these cities, you know, they are already em- employing almost 100% of, of forces they accumulated on the border before the aggression. So uh, I I don't frankly see how how they are going to 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 control the territories where, where they are present. Exactly, that's what we have been saying before the war. That uh, if Russians have plan of full invasion, uh, that uh, these plans are based upon lies, upon upon disinformation, upon uh, the false information, because they were thinking that 
uh, anti-Russian Ukrainians is a tiny part of the society and these Ukrainians they would be calling Nazis and the rest are just simple Russians who would greet them and this is not not happening this is simply not mm -hmm. happening even in those occupied cities I just admire the heroism of these people of in Kherson in Berdyansk uh, uh, in Melitopol who are really you know facing these Russian tanks uh, and just uh, tell them fuck off you know literally they literally tell them to fuck off. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about Russian losses. Um, the Russian losses, according to Ukrainian uh, information, is more than twelve thousand personnel. It's not increasing in the past days because earlier we had uh, every every day was a new thousand. Why? Because Russians are avoiding battle right now. They're 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 avoiding uh, advance and uh, they're avoiding uh, direct battles. They are really shelling every night, every day. They're shelling civilians, but avoiding direct battles. Although Ukrainians um, attack them uh, unexpectedly, and for example, uh, there was a in the recent days there was a fight near Brovary in which we live uh, with Tanya, and um, and uh, this fight uh, shown that. Uh, you know, you, you can see the videos again that the column, the Russian tanks, entered the road and uh, it's difficult to enter by any other means than the road because there are forests around. You know, they, they cannot mm -hmm. pass uh, through the forests and they entered the road and it was like, uh, you know, a computer game when, when Ukrainians with these anti-tank missiles just destroyed several, several Russian tanks. Ukrainian tactics is also to destroy the communications, to destroy the energy supply because we understand that tanks cannot advance if they don't have fuel. So Ukrainians are trying to attack this... Uh, fuel machines, um, the, the control centers, the connection centers, and uh, Russian tanks need to, need to have supplies, need to have, uh, need to have repair all the time, and uh, therefore without these supplies they're, they're abandoning tanks. So we have so much information about abandoned tanks everywhere, uh, and this is, this is remarkable. Another very important figure is the aircraft. So what what struck me is that today we have the information from Ukraine about 74 aircrafts downed in uh, 18, 18 days. But yesterday the figure was 58. That means that in one day Ukrainians downed 16 Russian aircraft, 16 planes in mm -hmm. one day. That means that, uh, well... This is this was our message all the time that you, you Russians have the advantage in the skies, and uh, therefore this message to the whole world to close the sky. Of course, it sounds a little bit utopian, but at least to help Ukraine, you know, fight better against Russians in the skies with uh, jets with uh, anti-air systems. But it seems that Ukrainians are increasingly capable of doing that with. Uh, I think with stingers, uh, with some other equipment, but if, if Ukrainians are downing so many Russian planes, well, this is a good news. What do you think? Mm -hmm. This is this is really important, and unfortunately, uh, we Ukrainian army was not so very much in the Ukrainian air defense was not not so much successful to, to today early in the morning at Yavoriv. But we do see that many many cities and mainly Kiev is really um, protected by uh, our or by our air defense, and this is about maybe is a turning point of this war. It might be at least a turning point of this war. Let's talk about diplomatic 
effort. There is a huge discussion in Ukraine about whether di- diplomacy could, could, could be helpful, could help us today. We do know that every day there is a kind of telephone calls between, uh, be- between many European leaders and Putin, for example, between uh, Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz, who were calling Putin and then calling Zelensky. And the President Zelensky is talking to many, many Western leaders at that very moment. And a lot of people, a lot of leaders are trying to contact Putin. Uh, and um, but the discussion is whether this is a point. Uh, what what can diplomacy do today? And uh, my impression is, you'll correct me if I'm not right. My impression is that diplomacy is not so much effective now. Surely enough, we have to talk, but. Uh, but at the same time, we we do understand that Putin is not interested in these talks at the very moment, what, because he has nothing to suggest in any way. Any, in any way, he has no uh, no possible positive uh, positive uh, way out of this war. That's the problem. In fact, the problem is that he has no idea how to get out of this war and save his face, because uh, we have already passed many non-return points. In fact. And um, this is very dangerous because he has to escalate in a way, you know. Um, at the same time, uh, we are receiving many, many signals from inside Russia saying that finally they started to understand what that what does it really mean. I mean, all these sanctions and all this economic isolation. Yesterday, I've been listening to many um, to many scientists, to some scientists, let us say, to some scientists in economic economics who, who were talking about uh, about huge disastrous economic uh, um, effects of, of sanctions inside Russia, who would come in 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 coming months, in quite quickly. So they are, in a way, they are in despair because they do understand that this uh, is serious. And even if, imagine, we are, imagine tomorrow Putin, I don't know, stop the war for any reason. Uh, we, will, we will be there to rebuild Ukraine and to, to create a new country, but there will be still sanctions against Russia and they will be suffering for many years and maybe many generations. You know, it will be extremely difficult to to stop the sanctions. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> I agree with you totally. So we have the news from, uh, for example, Mr. Podolak, who is advisor to the head of U- U- Ukrainian presidential office, that Russians are no longer speaking with ultimatums. And uh, frankly, which is which is really strange, is that Russians are downgrading each time they're downgrading their demands. So they no longer talk about denazification. Well, their fantasy, they no longer talk about demilitarization. They started again to talk about Minsk agreements, which are obviously a thing of the past. Uh, we cannot really imagine any any kind of any anything like a Minsk agreements. So I think they understand that they are they 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 have entered the the very very difficult war in which they will have lots of losses and they will suffer a lot economically and really they 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 cannot understand how to drag out of it because ukrainian army is there it is it has the same number as russian army actually uh, well uh, to 200,000 against 200,000 but we know from the war theory that you have to have forces three times higher if you attack 
and and Ukrainians are more mobile because they they are much more mobile with their anti 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 tank missiles against Russian tanks than the Russian tanks, for example, right? And if the information, for example, Ukrainians are saying about twelve thousand uh, Russian soldiers dead, but if even if it's too high, and the real figure is about eight thousand. Uh, military experts are saying that uh, the number of wounded is most probably three times higher. This is the average ratio. So uh, add also the prisoners. That means that maybe about 40 or 50,000 people, uh, Russian soldiers, are, are, are already out of the conflict. So Russians have lost in 18 days maybe up to one quarter of the initial forces they, they had. And they're now trying to mobilize people. They're now trying to engage conscripts. Conscri conscripts are not prepared. And Ukrainians have the reserves, the reservists. And there are lines into the, into the Voinkomats, meaning the, mm -hmm. the military, uh, military units. So we really don't understand what was the calculation of Russians and if there were anything, any, anything like that. It seems that Russians just have got it wrong and Putin have got, has got it wrong. He's just misunderstood Ukraine, what's happening here, what are the trends and what is the attitude to him. Yeah, this is, mm -hmm. the, the, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is the story. Anything to add, Tanya, at this moment? I think that's all for today. I think so. We are uh, already discussed the major points. Let's see how it go. How it goes. We receive a lot of statements saying, like, "Look, uh, Putin has already lost the war," and still there is a discussion. If uh, we do understand, everybody understands that that very moment that this is a this is a failure for for Putin's Russia. But the main question is how long the war will will be going on because. If we uh, will we see a kind of a quick uh, end of the war, or will we see a month or maybe years of this uh, of this um, of this war still going on on a lower intensity? Um, but today, for example, I read a text of Francis Fukuyama uh, stating Francis Fukuyama was wrong in 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 a way in in several of his statements before. But uh, what uh, I we see now that he is stating that the war, this war of Russia against Ukraine may finish abruptly just in, in, in several days or weeks, just as if nothing happens. So it will be not a long end of the war, but it will, 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 be, able to, will be able to end abruptly. Uh, we still don't know. We are, are not uh, military experts, but um, let's see how it's going on. And in any way, uh, what do Ukrainians think at that very moment? We are all convinced that there is no other way for us than to fight against Russia and that there is no other solution for this war than the victory of Ukraine. Because Russia is will be suffering for many, many years from sanctions, from economic isolation, from diplomatic isolation, and there is no military success at that very point and they have nothing to expect. So what they can do, they can only continue their terror uh, against civilians, um, but nothing, nothing more than that. So in any way, let's stay optimistic and let's hope that uh, 
that it will not take us too long to wait for the to the end of this war. Yes, the key question is who is more exhausted, who who becomes uh, exhausted faster, because Russians are calculating that uh, while they're encircling Ukrainian cities, they're exhausting them. And of course, uh, when we see Mariupol, when we see Chernihiv, they might be right in a certain extent, uh, but they are themselves exhausted because there is a whole nation, because the people who are not on the front line, they are volunteering, they are helping the army, they're helping with supplies, and uh, and, and Russians are just caught nowhere. Well, they, they try to send uh, here the... Uh, the airborne forces, for example, and they're just uh, very quickly destroyed, annihilated. And Ukrainians have the tactics of very smart, uh, you know, strikes, uh, very smart strikes against against the Russian columns. Uh, they have the tactics of extending the Russian uh, the Russian front line, and it seems that uh, these tactics works because these units are increasingly without communication. So when we see the map of Russian advances, it doesn't mean anything. It, it doesn't mean that they're really advancing well because they just can be uh, quickly dispersed and quickly annihilated. So what we say is that support uh, Ukraine, stand with Ukraine. Ukraine is fighting, Ukraine is resisting, uh, Ukraine is strong. Ukrainian army is, is very strong, very brave. Of course, we have lots of casualties among uh, civilians, among soldiers, unfortunately, lo lots of dead children. This is also one of the uh, one of the tragedies of this of this war. But Ukrainians are fighting and are ready to fight. Thank you so much, Tanya, for for making this podcast. There was a podcast explaining Ukraine. We now have this joint production between Ukraine World, Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. Uh, Tetyano Harko is uh, in charge of international communications of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us.